Turn, if you would, to the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. I contacted Stuart after last week's lesson to see if there was any heresy I needed to clean up. There, there are CDs of last week's lesson on Daniel by uh, Stuart, if you'd like to pick one up. Well, we've hit the turning point in the book of Romans. As we have said before, uh, Paul in his letters will often have a introductory section that deals with theology, and the conclusion will deal with the application. Okay, now that this theology is true... How do we live our lives? So the application, half, and it's not really half, it's like the last third, of the book of Romans starts in chapter 12 with verse 1. Now it's interesting when you start getting to the application part, people often have a couple of different responses. The first response is, we finally got to the practical stuff. Get all that theology out of the way and tell me what I need to do. Well, the problem with that is that good actions are built upon good theology. If you do not understand Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 are going to confuse you. Which leads to the second response that people often have, which is, okay, now it's all good and well. We've been talking about grace, being saved by grace. Now you're going to lay the rules on us. You're going to tell us the rules that we have to follow in order to be right with God. And there are those whose legalism flag starts going off. Warning, warning, we're in trouble. We're descending into legalism. I once had a, uh, he was actually an elder in a church, and I asked him, could you make a list, even if there's only one thing on the list, of things that Christians ought or ought not to do? And he said, no. Because if I did so, that would be legalism. Well, it is not legalism. Everything that we're going to talk about for the rest of the book of Romans, is built on the acknowledgement that we are saved by grace, by the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. That's the basis. Nothing that we're going to talk about can be done in such a way that you can merit, you can earn your salvation. Having said that, we often have a third response which is, okay, we're saved by grace. Here are some things we ought to do, but we're not going to take it very seriously. Because if I take it seriously, I may be accused of being a legalist, and I don't want to do that. Well, hold on to your hats, because we're going to take it very seriously. Having been saved by grace, having been saved by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, Romans 8 tells us we are not to live according to the flesh. We are to live according to the Spirit. What does that mean? That's what Romans 12, 13, 14, and 15, and 16 are going to tell us how to do. When I get up in the morning, 
I can either live a life that is pleasing to God, or I can live a life that follows, that conforms, this is today's lesson, conforms to this world's way of doing things. And that's what we're going to talk about in Romans 12, 1 and 2. We're only going to make it through two verses today. And we're going to have to rush to make it through those two verses. I was telling somebody, I was reading a book of sermons this week. The guy had ten sermons on verses 1 and 2. Trust me, there's enough there. Another book, he was kind of, I guess, lazy. He only had four sermons on these two verses. Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Go home this week and memorize those two verses. I memorized them years ago, and Van will be happy. I memorized them in the King James. <laughs> I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, therefore, therefore, because of what has come before, this is what you need to do. It is an old joke. Preachers use it all the time. Every time you see the word therefore, you should ask what it's there for. <laughs> Nothing that we're going to say in this lesson and the following lessons is a contradiction to what came before. Because of the grace of God, because of Romans chapter 1, where we learned that humanity is suffering from the wrath of God because we chose to follow the created things rather than the creator. Because of that, because in chapter 2 and 3 we learn the state of humanity apart from God, that we do our own thing, that we go chasing after our own way of doing things. Because of the end of chapter 3, where there is a salvation that is by faith from first to last, because of chapter 4, 5, 6, because of all of that, what we're going to talk about needs to occur. Not replace it, not in spite of it, but because of it. I urge you, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What is the basis that he goes to the people and says, here's what we're going to talk about. Here's what you need to do. Is it the wrath of God? Is it the holiness of God? We've talked about all of that in the book of Romans. We've talked about his wrath being poured out on us. We've talked about his holiness, the righteous requirement of the law. We've talked about all of that. But when he gets to the point of appealing to you to action, he doesn't go back to those, although he could. He goes back to the mercy of God. What is the mercy of God? The fact that we, as sinners, 
who stood apart from God, who rebelled against God, received mercy from God. That is the appeal. Question, why do we as believers do what God told us to do? The question should be, why ought we do? But let's assume we do. Why do we do it? Because we think that he'll like us more if we do it? You do realize that God gave his son for you. He's not going to like you anymore. I mean, I like most of you. But none of you get my son, okay? It's just not happening. God loved you and me enough to give us his son. So why do we do things? Because he'll like us more? No. He's already liked us. All he's going to like us. Do we do it because we will earn our salvation? No. We do. I mean, we have that. That's been given to us because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Then why do we do it? Because he showed mercy to us, and our response to that mercy is to want, to desire, to do that which God would have us to do. That is the basis. It isn't, I've got to do this or he'll hate me tomorrow. I've got to do this or he'll whack me up with the side of the head. I have to do this or he'll make me have a flat tire on the way home. You may have a flat tire on the way home, but it has nothing to do with the love of God. Sorry. I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. (sighs) Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Remember the church at Rome... It's got Gentile believers. It has Jewish believers. You can imagine the Jewish believers going, okay, salvation, salvation by grace, okay, okay, okay. What about the sacrifice? There's got to be a sacrifice. I mean, you read the Old Testament all the way back to Cain and Abel. There's a sacrifice. There has to be a sacrifice. Well, If you read the book of Hebrews, you realize that the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice to pay the penalty of your sins has been done away with. It's been finished. It isn't that it was not necessary. It's that it's not necessary anymore because Jesus was the final sacrifice. We do not offer a blood sacrifice We do not walk into the sanctuary at the next service and have the pastor plop a lamb up on the altar and slit its throat and capture the blood. We don't do that. That's been finished. That sacrifice is no longer required. We're off the hook. We don't have to sacrifice anything. No, there is another sacrifice that God wants from us present your bodies as a living sacrifice present your body what in the world does that mean is my body supposed to lay down on an altar every day huh maybe 
remember our basic understanding of who you and I are, okay? The world will tell you, the world will tell you that you are a physical being. That's all you are. You are a collection of matter, a collection of synapses in your brain, a collection of DNA that defines everything there is to know about you. I was listening to the radio just two weeks ago, and they were having a discussion, what does it mean to be human? And the scientist was on there, and he says, we are just beginning to understand the DNA, we've mapped the genome, and within our lifetime, we will be able to trace every characteristic that you have back to a particular DNA. You're a morning person, that's because you have this DNA. You like dogs, that's because you have this DNA. All you are is matter, synapses, electrical charges. That's all you are. All you are is a physical human being. You're just like the other animals. What a small world that would be, she says. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible says that you are a physical being and you are a spiritual being. Depending on how you look at it, you're either a physical being that has a spirit or, biblically, it's probably more accurate to say you are a spiritual being that happens to have a body. That's why C.S. Lewis refers to us as amphibians. We live in two different worlds. This is known as dualism, the idea that you are made up of two different material part and a non-material part. And it's interesting because a couple of weeks ago I was reading through a philosophy magazine and it commented that no intelligent person today believes in dualism. And I go, really? Really? What is the implication to us about the idea that we are a spirit and we are a body. God is telling you, you, what part of you? He is telling your spirit to put your flesh, to put your body on the altar every day. Why is he doing that? Is it because the body is evil? No. We are not Gnostics. We do not believe that the body in and of itself is wicked and evil. Notice that it does not say, put your body on the altar and slit its throat. It doesn't say that. What it says is put your body on the altar as a living sacrifice. You, your spirit, is to put you, your body, on the altar to God Every day of your life, every moment, every minute of your day, you are to take your body and offer it to God as a sacrifice. Why? Because in the biblical worldview, the spirit is what is to drive your ambitions, drive your desires, Drive your passions, drive your life. 
In the world that we live in today, what drives your passions, your desires, your life? It is your appetites. Go watch any commercial on television. Go watch any TV show. Read any magazine. It's all about how you can satisfy your body. And God says, put that out of the way. It's not evil. He gave you a body. He gave you a body to accomplish his purposes. We talked about this in Romans chapter 6. Present your parts of your body to God to do his will and not the will of the flesh. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Ted, years ago in a sermon talking about this, said that since we are a living sacrifice, we have a tendency to crawl off and walk away. One good thing about putting the sacrifice on the altar and slitting its throat, it's not going anywhere after you do that. But you see, we have a tendency to put ourselves on the altar. We go to a revival service, we get pumped up, and we say, yes, Lord, I'll do it, and we put ourselves on the altar until tomorrow. And then we get off and we walk away. You ever see the movie Up? Is that the one, the cartoon with the, and the dogs, and every time the dog sees a squirrel, it goes, squirrel, squirrel, it goes off chasing after it. That's the way we are. We're just distracted. The first thing pops up, the first thing that satisfies our flesh, and it's like, squirrel, and off we go, chasing after something else. And what do we do? We have to get our body, and we have to put it back on the altar. And you know what we have to do the next day? We have to take our body, and we have to put it back on the altar. Do you know what we have to do the next day? You get this picture, right? Every day, we take our body and we present our body to God as a living sacrifice. We're not dying. We'll do that eventually. We are growing old. I heard several conversations about that this morning. (laughs) Our body is to be presented to God as a living sacrifice. These two verses are the introduction to all the application that is to follow in the coming up chapters. It's also the introduction to all the application found anywhere in the scripture. Anywhere. We are to be driven by the spirit, not by the body. Can I say that again and again and again? Until you believe it. It is not that the body is evil. The body was made by God. It was declared to be good at some point in humanity's history. It is not evil. It is simply not meant to control us. It is meant to be used as an instrument of the Spirit to accomplish the will of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is interesting because you ask people 
did you worship today? And what that usually means in the modern context is, did I sing? Really, I mean, you go to a church service and you do the worship and then you do the sermon. I mean, that's in our minds, that's what we're doing. But worship somehow got connected up with only being the music. Let me tell you what worship is. You ready for this? Tomorrow, when that hand right there, that hand right there, does God's will and not my will, that's worship. You ready for this? Tomorrow, when this tongue, when that tongue does God's will and not my will, that's worship. Now, it can be sitting together as a community, singing praises to God. That can be worship. No doubt about it. Listening to a sermon, learning about God can be worship. But what is true worship? That hand, that tongue, those eyes, these ears, that foot, all the rest of my body doing God's will and not mine. That is true and acceptable worship. Huh. Hmm. Holy and acceptable. What does holy mean? Holy simply means set apart for God. You know, we talk about God being holy, and God is holy. And we go, wow, that's really big and lofty. Did you know that in the tabernacle there were candlesticks? Pretty, beautiful, made out of gold, good-looking candlesticks. But they were just candlesticks. Yet they were holy. Why were they holy? Because those candlesticks had been set apart for the service of God. They were not going to be used for everyday activities. The priest didn't say, go get the holy candlestick. I need to read my Reader's Digest. He didn't do that because they were set apart. The lamb that was selected for the sacrifice was holy. Why? Because it had been set apart. I mean, there were a bunch of lambs out there. And they went around, they found the good one, they took it and said, this one is the one for the sacrifice. At that point, that lamb is holy. Why? It looks just like all the other lambs. Well, maybe. Hopefully it's a little bit better. They were supposed to give the best one. But it's just a lamb. But it's not just a lamb. It's a lamb whose purpose has been redefined to be presented to God as a sacrifice, as a form of worship. Hmm. You look at yourself in the mirror tomorrow. If you're like me, you don't spend a lot of time looking at yourself in the mirror. You look at yourself in the mirror tomorrow and you think, I'm just a guy. I'm just a gal. I may not be as young as I once was. 
I'm not as old as that person over there. I'm not as good looking. I'm better looking. I don't know. You look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I'm just a guy. But you're not just a guy. You're not just a gal. In the same way that that lamb has been removed from the flock and made holy by its dedication to God, you are set apart to do the work of God. Wait a minute. I don't preach. I don't teach. I don't, you know, have big crusades and lead thousands of people to Christ. How can I be set apart? You're forgetting. What did we just say? What is worship? That hand, this tongue, these eyes, these ears, these feet, doing the will of God is worship. Whatever body parts you still have, whatever body parts you still have that still function, whatever you are to do in your life is worship. Or it's not. I would actually contend it is either way. It's just, what are you worshiping? Your body, a living sacrifice, as worship, it is holy, it is set apart for God, and it is acceptable to God. That's interesting. Acceptable to God. What made an acceptable sacrifice? You go back to the Old Testament, and it's kind of interesting. In fact, it's kind of bloody at times, but there's a whole series of sacrifices. You know, on this occasion, because of this sin, you present this animal. On this occasion, because of this sin, you present this animal. On this occasion, just because it's this occasion, you present this. It's a grain, it's a bird, it's a lamb, it's a bull, it's a something. To be an acceptable sacrifice, first off, it has to follow the will of God. It's interesting. You remember Cain, Abel, Adam and Eve's sons. They bring a sacrifice to God. Cain brings what? Grain. He was a farmer, whacked down some of his wheat or whatever it was in the Middle East at the time, and he presents it to God. Sounds like a good idea. This is what I made. This is what I give to God. Abel brought a animal, an animal, and presented it to God. And it says one was acceptable and one was not. Because the Old Testament, from beginning to end, comments on the fact without the shedding of blood, there is no sacrifice. One was acceptable because it followed the will of God, and one was unacceptable because it didn't. And Cain was given the opportunity to do what was right, and as we well know, he didn't do it. The first the first criteria for acceptable sacrifice is that it is commanded by God. What is commanded by God of you and me? That we present our bodies. That we present our bodies to him as a sacrifice. The second criteria was that it be the best. Okay? 
You go into the flock and you find the lame lamb that is blind and has no value and you go, hmm, I'll give that one to God. I'll give that one to God. God said, no, I don't want that one. I want the best. I want the first fruits. I want what you value the most. And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. That rules me out. (laughs) I'm not that good. I saw myself in the mirror. (laughs) But what is that telling God who created you, who saved you by the finished work of Jesus Christ, you are the acceptable sacrifice. And to deny that is to deny the finished work of Jesus Christ. Christ came to give us what we could not earn on our own. We received the righteousness of Christ and we, before God, are seen as righteous. That's what Romans has been teaching us. That's what Romans has been telling us from the very beginning. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy. It is set apart for God. Acceptable because he has made it acceptable. And that is your worship. So when you leave here and you go to the worship service, sing with gusto. Listen to the sermon. Apply it to your life. But remember, if you go home and you whack somebody with that hand, that hand belongs to God and is to be devoted to spiritual things. You know, our minds are sitting here going, but that just that sounds so highfalutin. I mean, this hand just doesn't do anything that spiritual hands do what hands do they do bad things or they do good things they need to do good things to the service of God all the application that we're going to talk about in the next five chapters all the application in all the scripture is telling you how to take that hand, that tongue, those eyes, those ears, those feet, and do the will of God. Go ahead. Cody, a couple of weeks ago, mentioned when you get up in the morning, tell God you will do whatever he wants you to do. I might add, you'd better mean it. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship we can have a whole discussion about what other kinds of worship there are you remember when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well and he had some comments about her uh, marital status 
So she, in a brilliant attempt to change the subject, says, you people say we need to worship in Jerusalem. My people say we can worship over here, which is right. I mean, you've done this before, right? Somebody starts asking you something that's too close and pressing, so you change the subject. And Jesus says, God is spirit, and we need to worship him in spirit and in truth. It is our spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. For any teacher or preacher, this is the most fabulous passage in the world because you can really talk about anything. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The first question is obviously this. What does it mean to be conformed to this world? Go ahead. I ask the question. Following the world system. Any of you not convinced that the world has a way of looking at things? I mean, you can just look at anything. That's why this is such a broad topic. What were we talking about just a moment ago? The nature of humanity. Are we merely a physical being? Or are we a spiritual being and a physical being connected together? If that's true, it changes everything. It changes how you treat people. It, tre- it changes the fact that we will live forever. Our spiritual being will live forever. If you believe that we're just a physical being, you're going to die, you're going to be put in a hole, in a good box that will last for a while, and then you become Worm food. Go ahead. It's constantly changing. The world and its view is constantly changing. There's all kinds of passages that we could look at that deal with this topic. Look at 1 John chapter 2. I picked this one because in the sermon series we've been working through 1 John. And I want to tie all of this together. 1 John chapter 2 starting, I don't know, in verse 15. Do not love the world are the things of the world. Why would we love the things of this world? Hmm, let's keep going. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here it is, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Do not be conformed to the image of this world. What does it mean to be conformed to the image of the world? The desires of the flesh are, you know, The world is the desires of the flesh. What is it that will satisfy my body right now? And at one point, you know, you sit there and think, 
Okay, we're talking pornography, we're talking adultery, we're talking all those... Well, yeah, we're talking about that. But we're talking about any time that you choose to satisfy the flesh instead of doing what God would have you to do. You know, people used to talk about gluttony being a sin. We don't talk about that much anymore. Because Bluebell is back. Why? Because it was allowing the flesh to dictate to you what you do or don't do. I mean, I had somebody tell me one time, you know, I could never be a missionary because in Africa they don't have air conditioning. Well, most places in Africa they probably don't. And I would probably melt. But if God told you to go, guess what? You're supposed to go. Now, here's the interesting thing, though. God is probably, probably not going to call you to go to Africa. He could, and if he does, go. He's probably not going to call you to go to Africa, but the fact that you said no to go probably means when he tells you to walk across the street, you're going to say no also. You see how our brains work? I got in the habit of telling God what I won't do because it doesn't satisfy my flesh. And when I get into the habit of telling God what I won't do, the list grows. I won't do something that's uncomfortable. I won't do something that bothers me. And I become I become I dictate. It is the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes. What we see, we want. What we see influences what we do. What do we see? Well, we see the things of this world in advertisements. We see it on billboards. We see it all around us, and I want it. But we also see people that have more power than we do, more influence than we do, and I want that. God, I would follow you, but you know, this direction will get me more influence. People will talk about me nicer if I do this, so I'm going to go this way. That's okay with you, God, right? It is the way of the world. And finally, our pride in our possessions It is fascinating to me. We are all old enough to know that everything you own is going to be left behind when you die. Right? You know that, right? As a young person, you might get away with thinking, I'm taking it all with me. We're all old enough to know that that's not true. I think I've mentioned it here before. I always remember my grandfather died many years ago. And the whole family was told to come over to the house and really just take whatever you want. I mean, he had a modest life. There wasn't a whole lot there. And, you know, you walk around the house and there's nothing there you want. And I remember thinking, there's going to come a time that my kids and my grandkids are going to walk around my house and they're going to go, why did he have all these books? (laughs) You can all get them on their iPad right now. All these possessions that I think define who I am are going to be burned 
then why do we why do we spend so much time forget you why do i spend so much time enamored with the things that i own to satisfy the flesh. There is a multi, multi, multi billion dollar industry in this country to convince you you need more stuff. You ready for this? It's all a lie. You can buy that toothpaste, but the sexy young girls will not become following after you. <laughs> I had a security briefing one time, and the guy said, guys, look at yourself in the mirror. If some sexy young thing is coming on to you, they're in it for something, and it's not you. <laughs> the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, our possessions. These are just some of the ways that we have been conformed to this world. You literally could sit at that one phrase and teach worldview classes forever. I could sit here and list off my favorite list of sins, my favorite list of problems in the world, and we could talk about how we are conformed to the way of this world. But we are, some more, some less. Every one of the applications that we are going to deal with in the following weeks is going to contrast being conformed with the, to the world, doing it the way the world does things, versus the opposite, which is being transformed by the renewal of your mind. We are not to be conformed. We are to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Notice, we presented the body a living sacrifice. We got it on the altar. We gave it to God. It's out of the way. We're off the hook. No. Because our minds are still conformed to the image of this world. Trust me. How many hours of TV did you watch this week versus how many hours did you spend reading your Bible? And I don't have to look at you. I know the answer. We think nothing of watching a one-hour TV show or a three-hour football game or a 500-hour Olympic event that's coming up. We think nothing of that, and that's fine. I'm not saying don't do that. But if you ask people to read their Bibles for 10 minutes, they look at you like, I don't have any time in my life for that. Do you know how busy my schedule is? I've got things to do. And we wonder why our minds are conformed to the image of this world and not transformed to do what God would have us to do. We wonder. Everything we're going to deal with, everything we're going to deal with in the coming weeks 
is an example of how we are to take our lives now that are conformed to the image of this world and transform them to do something else. I mean, you can just, you know, skip down later in the chapter just to give an example. Uh, Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Let's just start right there, and we'll talk about this when we get to it. What does the world tell you to do? They poke you, poke them back. They hit you, hit them harder. If you can't hit them, talk about them behind their back. Get even. Why wouldn't you do that? Do you know what they think about you? Are you going to let them get away with that? That's the way the world thinks. What does God say? Bless those who persecute you. Well, okay, if anybody ever comes up to me and persecutes me for being a Christian, I'll stand for God and I'll do the right thing. But if they say something bad about me, well, that's something totally different. Conform to the world are transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does it mean to be transformed? Metamorphosis is the word that is used here. You were one creation, and now you are something else. Wait a minute. This sounds like salvation. You are a new creation. You have been changed on the inside. Now, take that inside change and take that hand and do the will of God. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It all starts with the way that we think about the world. How do you renew the mind? Yes, go ahead. Yes. The world calls good evil and evil good. It's all backwards. It is. That's the interesting thing about the world we're living in right now. Okay? In this country, if you go back, I don't know, 50 years, when I was a child, and you all were younger, (laughs) if you go back, there was a certain sense in which the uh, prevailing society had somewhat of a Christian understanding. And you could kind of be lulled into this thinking that being a good American and being a good Christian is about the same thing. We could have a long discussion about whether that was true or not, but that's what we believe, and that's okay. If that was true then, to whatever extent that was true then, it's not true today. There is no question that being conformed to the world today is at war with being transformed by the renewing of your mind. I mean, as I said, all the application, we're going to talk about all that stuff in the coming weeks. Believe it or not, we are going to talk about politics because there's a lesson on it. Somebody asked me at the beginning of the year, am I going to get to the politics lesson before November, the first week of November? I don't know. 
I'm not sure if it's a good idea one way or the other. I haven't figured that out yet. Why? Because being transformed by the renewing of your mind influences every aspect of your being. Every aspect. So, how do we transform our minds? Number one, top of the list, no exception. We need to learn to think like God. How do we learn to think like God? By studying the Word of God. By studying the Word of God. People ask, how much do I need to study? More. I don't know where you are. More. Through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, with prayer, with a community, we are to take the Word of God and ingrain it in our lives until we think more like God than we think like the world. Is that easy to do? No, it's horribly hard. Why is it hard? Because we're bombarded by the world. The world is with us all the time. And we saturate ourselves in the world's way of doing things. It's just, it's just natural. I mean, it's, We are to transform ourselves by the renewing of your minds through the Word of God, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, with prayer and with community. I think it's interesting because next week's lesson is going to talk about spiritual gifts. The key point of next week's lesson is we're a body. We're all in this together. One of the things that we as a contemporary American church have fallen into, which is conforming to the world, is this radical individualism. This idea that I get to sit here on my own, read the scripture, and I get to determine what's right for me. Well, you do have the ability to sit there and read the Scripture on your own, and that's a great thing. But God didn't give you the Scripture alone. He gave you a community of believers. Yeah, but they're kind of crazy people. They may be, but they're probably not. He gave us a community to understand to help us, to encourage us, to transform our minds so that we will not be conformed to the image of this world. Whew. We're out of time, but we haven't quite made it to the end of the lesson. The renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're actually going to cover that next week. But let me give you a hint. I want to know the will of God. You ready for this? To the extent that you are conformed to the image of the world, you cannot, will not, know the will of God. That's strange. Why? Because, as we said a while ago, if you believe that good is evil and evil good, and you're conformed to that, you won't see the good if you see it. It could be standing right there, and you wouldn't see it. It is when our minds are transformed, as we 
begin to value what God values, that we are able to see what God's will is. I mean, I always think of the passage where Jesus saw the multitudes and he wept because they were sheep without a shepherd. I see the multitudes and what do I think? They're in my way. I wish they'd go away. Where can I go to hide from them? That's the way my mind thinks. What did Christ see? People who needed a Savior. Hmm, that's weird. If I want to know, if I want to know what is good and acceptable and perfect, I need to transform my mind. What do I need to do to transform my mind? Well, first off, I need to make sure I'm not conforming to the image of this world. But how can I possibly do that? Well, the world is being driven by the body, the desires of the flesh. We need to take that body and we need to remove it. Not remove it by putting it on the altar and slicing its throat, but remove it so that it is not driving the show by presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. How do we do that? That's what we're going to talk about for the next dozen weeks. Every one of these applications that we deal with, every one of these applications is teaching you and teaching me how to not conform, how to be transformed, and how to present our bodies as living sacrifice. These two verses are the introduction. They're the introduction to every application in the scripture. That's why they're so important. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you, that you have saved us. I pray, Lord, that we, that we would present our bodies to you, that we would be transformed. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength, that you would give us the energy, that you would give us the grace. Because we know, ultimately, God, that nothing happens without your strength and your energy For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.